So if you have your Bibles, let's turn together in Deuteronomy chapter 2. Our text for today will be found in the two chapters, chapter 2 and chapter 3. And you might be going, well, preacher, that's almost 60 verses. But if you'll bear with me for half an hour or so, we're going to survey these verses together and uh, point out some highlights within them that I think are very important for ministry and for your walk with, with the Lord. So this is a continuation from last week, and I began to ask this question as I think about the ministries at, at the church and so forth and so on, and I thought of a good question I believe is, is worthy of asking, and that question is, how will the Lord bless our work? How will the Lord bless our work? In what ways will God bless our work? And so over the next two chapters, I want to I help, help us to answer that in, in some way. Last week, I think, was just a wonderful demonstration and reminder of the providence and provision of the Lord our God. To say that God showed up uh, is almost an understatement. And so I'm thankful for that. And I can say even in my own life, and without hesitation, that there have been times in my life where I did not know exactly how things were going to work out. I didn't know exactly how things were going to come to pass or how things were going to work out for the glory of God, but they, they always seem to. They always seem to. It's as if God is demonstrating His faithfulness and He wants us to see that He is he is faithful. So it is always it's refreshing, it is encouraging to hear how God works out every scenario for His glory. And I think we'll see some of that today as God is, is, is protecting His people and leading His people. Go this way, don't go that way, do this, do that. And He is doing so for His glory and for His honor. And so it is always refreshing to hear how God is is gaining glory in the kingdom. Now, I would also say with that that we are praying very fervently for the ministries in our church. We are praying very fervently for all the ministries that are in our church. We're praying for the Easter drama, as I mentioned earlier. And we are praying for all the ministries that God has entrusted in our care. He has entrusted into our stewardship. Now, why do I use the word stewardship to say that God has ministries within this church and we are stewards over that. Why do I use the word stewardship? Very simply, because they are His. They belong to Him. And when you think about it, ministry is absolutely the work of the Lord and it does not belong to us. No matter how jealous that we might get over other ministries, and that does happen, by the way, no matter how tight we try to hold on to the ministries that we host, it all belongs to the Lord. And so I will say something maybe very controversial to you. In my mind, as a minister... As a pastor, I look at the ministries of Piney Grove and I say that they are all on level ground. You might not agree with that statement. But all ministries that God has given to us as stewards are on level ground. Now, one might be, let's say, far more reaching than others might be. But one is not to be exalted amongst the other. It is the same God 
that empowers our little clubbers to know their voice. The same God is the same God over the Easter drama. Amen. One might be more far-reaching, but never should be exalted above another. And it blows my mind when, when people get jealous over the success of other ministries. You know what that tells me? That there's a bit of a pride issue. There's a bit of a pride issue when we get jealous over the success of other ministries. And if that's you this morning, I don't know if it is. Maybe it's time to step back a little bit. Again, I want you to be mindful. It belongs to the Lord. It is not yours. In fact, to answer the question of the day, listen carefully. How will the Lord bless our work? Is to answer with, to give it to Him wholeheartedly. You might say, well, Pastor, that's very oversimplistic. Oversimplistic or not, is it true? Is it true? Now, most people will just hear what, I, what I've just said as an accusation, and they will say to themselves, well, that isn't me. I'm not guilty of that at all. And I cannot answer that for you. I don't know if you're harboring those feelings of jealousy towards other ministries or if you look down your nose on other ministries. But I will say again that all ministries at this church are on level ground. And if God is using them, let God use them. I am reminded of the importance of sharing the ministry load as I read last week at the very beginning or the very end of of this service, I read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So I'm going to read that again as a reminder, maybe to set the course of our trajectory today. Now, there are a variety of gifts in the same Spirit. There are a variety of service, but it's the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. It is the same God that empowers our Awana Club as empowers the drama. It is the same God who who empowers our student ministry. It is the same God that empowers the senior ministry. It is the, it is the same God who empowers our deacon in our deacon ministries to our directors, to whatever it might be. It is the same God overall. In other words, very simply and oversimplistic, if you will, give it to the Lord and He will bless the work. So that's the, that's the question. How will the Lord bless our work? Give it to Him and He will bless it. And on that point, I could say amen, couldn't I? And you could say, I've already got something out of the service today. The songs we sang reminding us uh, that Christ is the cornerstone. And by the way, he's the cornerstone of every ministry. We could say that our God is mighty to save, and he is. We could say, Lord, into your name, Lord. We could sing that song with, with conviction. Awesome is the Lord Most High. We can hear the preached word, or we can hear the, just the beginning of this and say amen. We can dismiss and we can go our way. And you might be saying, well, Pastor, why don't we do that right now? I'll ask you if you will. Just bear with me for a few moments. I would like to survey. We'll use that word. Survey chapter 2 and 3, the book of Deuteronomy. And I want you to notice, if you, if you write down any notes today, I would, would challenge you to do this. I would like you to write down the notes of how the Lord directed the Israelites and directed their step. Gave them direction. And notice as we walk through this together, the sovereignty and the direction from God 
to his people. And the words come to mind, he will never leave you, nor will he forsake you. So if you will, let's stand together. Now, I'm not going to read chapter 2 and 3, so... <laughs> I'm going to read the first four verses, which will set the tone, and then we'll be seated. Well, I'll submit to you, at the very beginning of chapter 2, is the wilderness years. This is Sire through Gilead. This is Sire through Gilead. So let's begin with verse 1, and then we'll pray, and we'll walk through the rest together. The Bible says, We turned and we journeyed into the wilderness, into the direction of the Red Sea. And the Lord told me, And for many days we traveled around Mount Seor. Then the Lord said to me, you have been traveling around this main country or this mountain country for long enough, turn northward and command the people that you are about to pass through the territory of your brothers, the people of Esau, who lived in Seor, and they will be afraid of you, so be very careful. Underscore, underline, so be very careful. Lord, we ask you to bless the word before us today. And these uh, many verses that point how you will bless your, your work and your people. And how you will keep us, protect us, and guide us if we will just simply trust and obey. We thank you for the worship we have already experienced this morning. And we give you the praise through it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now for 38 years now the people of Israel have been preparing for this day as Moses prepared with his father-in-law Jethro for 40 years now the people of Israel are preparing in the wilderness for 38 years now God has protected them and it is time for them to get off of this mountain and turn towards the promised land go to where God had promised them and, and maybe this time maybe this time they will not be so stubborn and maybe this time they will not doubt the work of the Lord, and maybe they'll enter in this time. They'll cross Jordan. The manna will stop. They'll cross Jordan and believe God and take God at his word. And here they are in, the, in this circle, just on the outskirts of the country of Edom. And there's a map that will show you exactly this circle, if you will. If you'll see that circle right there, they have gone round and round and round, and their destination is up at the top towards Gilead, and they'll cross over Jordan, as you can see to cross the Jordan River and the manna will stop and they would have entered into the promised land. And so they are there in this circle, round and round, and this is where this narrative will, will take place and we'll unpack that in a moment. But Moses says this, he says to his people, be very careful. He warns them to be very careful and the part of the reason is that they are about to enter into some potentially treacherous territory. The Lord gave Moses this word of revelation of the journey to come. And I thought about this. Now Moses will not be allowed to enter into the promised land because of his anger and because of his disobedience. And I began thinking about Moses' journey. And I began to, to think about this. And I began to, to search the scripture as, as we are this morning. And, and I thought about this and and I thought about Moses as a sign of a good leader. This is a sign of a good, a good leader. At the direction of the Lord God, a good leader will look to the future and not be so consumed with the past or even the here and now. Now it's good to look to the past and take from it what you need. 
and incorporate it into the modern day in what you live and to look into the future. But a good leader will look to the future and not be consumed with the past or to be consumed with the here and now. And here he is at the end of his journey. Moses will not even be able to enter into the promised land and yet he is concerned for their well-being. That is the sign of a good leader. And it would do us well to learn from Moses here. What will the church look like in 20 years? You ever ask the question? You ever ask yourself that? What will the church look like in 10 years, in 20 years? What will Piney Grove look like in 50 years? And how can we shape it now for the glory of God? Will the Lord bless our work? And how will God bless our work? Well, how do we answer that? We answer it in this way. The Lord will bless our work when we think in terms of longevity and not just a simple idea, well, I'll be gone in 10, 15, 20 years, so I'm not worried about it. Friends, we must be concerned with the church 100 years from now just as much as we are concerned with the church today. Somebody say amen. A good leader, if you look down the road, now listen, I want, I want Piney Grove, I want local churches to be thriving 100 years from now. Where it's not Larry Stevens as pastor or any of the other pastors who you reflect upon, it is Jesus who's lifted up. Men who have gone on and they have preached the word and as the reformer, early reformer preached the gospel, preached the word, die and be forgotten. It is Jesus who's to be, to be lifted up. In verse 5 he says, don't contend with the people. He says, I, I will not give you their land. This is, the, this is the land that was promised to Esau for possession. And to get a history lesson on that, Genesis 35 and 36 shows how Esau was given the land of Edom and how Jacob robbed his, him of his birthright. But then we look at verse 6. As he's telling them to pass through this land, he says... You shall purchase food from them with money, and you will eat. And you shall also buy water with that money that you may drink. Don't go in expecting a handout. <laughs> now, these are their people, obviously, from 400 plus way on into the past. They're their people. Go in, you buy the food with your money and the drink with your money. You be respectful to them as you're passing through. Now, how would this relate to the body of Christ? If we represent Jesus everywhere and anywhere we go, we are to represent Jesus well. Amen. We're ambassadors for Christ. Tracy and I had the privilege of being able to go to the mountain house there at Camp Caraway, Sophia, North Carolina. And somebody asked me, well, what, what did you like the most about your getaway? And the thing I liked the most about it, to be honest with you, is just sitting in the recliner and Tracy on one side, I'm on the other, our feet propped up in front of the fireplace there. That was it. Quiet time, just, sit, just, just, just sitting and, and relaxing on top of that mountain. But on the way back, we decided, you know, we're going to go, we're going to stop here and at this restaurant. We hadn't been to this restaurant in 15 years. Um, we were pregnant with, uh, with, with Logan the last time we were, so it was almost, almost like 15 years to the day. We said, let's go to this restaurant. So we did. We decided to go there. 
And I said, well, I don't know if we need a reservation. It's lunchtime. We pulled into the parking lot. We said, well, maybe we did need a reservation. And we pulled in, and they're scurrying back and forth. I mean, working hard. The waitresses are working hard. The, the, uh, the cooks are coming out with the meals. They're helping to serve the tables. Even the hostess was bringing out food. And I'm like, well, this is going to be busy. So we got all afternoon. So we sat down at our table and uh, waited for the waitress to come and bring our food. And there was a, a church group that came in to my left. And uh, as they came in, you know, they sat down and they started talking about some things in their church. And so my ear automatically was, I'm listening in. And it took a little while. I mean, like I said, it was busy. The waitress comes out. She brings that table, their ticket. She says, do you want this all together or on the same ticket? The man looks at her, mind you, just out of church, and says, all together, if we ever get our food. With a tone of illness about it. And at that moment, you know what I thought? If she asked me if I'd just come out of church, I would probably say no. Embarrassing. And I've had conversation with waitresses who have said they, they hate it when 12 o'clock on Sunday comes and the church crowd comes in because they are the rudest people. What a horrible commentary. And why do I say that? Anywhere and everywhere we go, we represent Christ. The people of Israel were going into a land, they are to represent Yahweh and represent Him well. Be respectful. But if I was to put chapter 2 and 3 together, if I was saying, but there was one verse that kind of balanced it all. If I was to say there was this one verse that kind of sum, puts a summary on chapter 2 and 3, it would be verse 7. So I would challenge you to highlight this. And as the, the team last week was sharing their testimony in West Virginia, it made me think of this. And I, and I hope that this will be a challenge to you guys as well as I read this. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness these 40 years. The Lord, has, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. There's so much application in this verse. It could be a standalone verse by itself. I can come back next week and just preach off verse 7. Church, have you ever lacked anything in ministry? Have you ever lacked anything that you underscore need in ministry? In serving Jesus, have you ever been without what you need? Sometimes the things that we want aren't necessarily things we need in ministry, are they? How will the Lord bless our work? By knowing that it is in His hands. And knowing that it is his. So they went out from their brothers, the people of Esau, and they traveled down through the direction of Moab. And God said to them, I don't want you to harass Moab either, just as I told you to pass through Sear and don't mess with Esau and his family. Now you are not to mess with the folks in Moab either, because I have given this land to Lot. Don't, don't contend with them. Be respectful. You go in, you, uh, you will purchase the food, and you will purchase the, the, the water. You will do exactly like you did. 
Okay, rise up, go over the brook of Zerad. So we went down the brook of Zerad, and at the time from the leaving of Kadesh Barnea until we crossed the brook of Zerad was 80, uh, 38 years until the entire generation, that is, the men of war, perished from the camp. That is, the people who doubted God, the generation from 21 years and above, or 20 years and above, who doubted God, who had died in the wilderness 38 years from them, as the Lord had sworn to them. So, again, if you're marking in your Bible, if you're making notes, this is another place from, uh, from, uh, from Seir to Moab right now already. It's clear that God was directing their path and He was protecting His people like He has always done. So it might not mean much to us today to say that God commanded them not to go this way or that way to pass and not mess with Esau's people or to go through Moab, but we are here today because of the people who obeyed the Lord. We're here today because God protected them. All right, and as soon as all the men of war had perished and were dead from amongst the people, the Lord said to me, now you will cross over into Moab. Look at verse 19. And when you approach the territory of the people of Ammon, do not harass them or contend with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession. I have given it to the sons of Lot for a possession. Again, God directing His people. Do you think it is important that we obey the word of the Lord? That's yes, amen. And the reason we do so is because the Lord wants to, I say this very loosely, the Lord wants to prosper us in His kingdom. And I don't mean by having a lot of things. Well, I don't mean by having a Rolls Royce or those type of things. I mean to prosper His kingdom to make much of the person of Jesus. And then they're traveling on. They're traveling on through Moab. The people who lived there were considered to be us, the Anakim, who were men of mighty stature, warriors, if you will. Mighty men, mighty warriors, pass through. Verse 24, rise up, set on your journey, and go over the valley of Arnon, because, or behold, I have given you, into, I have given this land into your hand, Sihon the Amorite, the king of Heshbon, his land. So how does that happen? How does, how does God give them this land under king of Heshbon? How does this happen? Well, verse 25 tells us how this happens. God's direction, God's sovereignty, God's leadership. To this day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you of the peoples who are under the whole heaven. Who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of of you. Now, the nations have heard of God's, God's amazing work amongst His people. He had brought them out of Egypt. He had plagued Egypt with, with plagues. He had brought them out. He had crossed, they crossed the Red Sea. The Lord had used Moses to raise the staff. And the, the Red Sea crossed and they, part, they parted the Red Sea on dry, dusty ground. God provided above and beyond. He provided the manna in the wilderness... He gave, them, he gave them manna to eat. They complained about that. He gave them quail to it, ran out their nostril holes. He provided a, a cloud by day and a fire, a pillar of fire by night to guide them. People have heard of the Hebrew people. He's gone before them. It is not that they feared the people of God, but the God that they serve. There is a rightful reverence. A fearful reverence that, yes, 
This might be a God that means business, a God to be feared. So I sent messengers from the wilderness of Kedermoth to Sion, the king of Heshbob, these words, and let me pass through. I'm only going to go by the road. I'm not going to turn to the right. I'm not going to turn to the left. Sell me food. I will give you money for it. We'll give you uh, money for the water that we may drink. Just let us pass through. As you did with Esau and as you did with the Moabites. Just want to get over to Jordan. Just want to get where God has commanded us to go. At the end of the day, we just want to do what God has commanded us to do. There's commands in Scripture. I just want to do what God has commanded me to do. As a leader, as a pastor, I just want to do what God had commanded me in Scripture to do as an overseer. As people of God, we should want to do the same. We want to serve God. We want to go out on mission. We want to worship together. Whether it's Jordan or whether it's next door. Verse 30, but the king of Heshbon would not let us pass, and the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate that he might give him into your hand as he is this day. So if you're struggling with that verse, that God hardened his heart, well, you ain't the only one who might struggle with this part. At the end of the day, this isn't a question about free will or predestination. This is a question of God's sovereignty. This is a question about God's provision, his protection, looking down the future. The Lord said to me, Behold, I began to give Sion and this land over to you. Take it as a possession that you might occupy the land. They came against us at the battle of Jahaz. The Lord our God gave him over to us. We defeated him and his sons and all of his people. And at the ver- in the verse 34, we left no survivors. Now before we go to say, Oh, why didn't they leave any survivors? Our human sympathies step in and we wear our Western goggles as we look at Scripture and we begin to sympathize with the people, not knowing that these people would rise up and kill every single Hebrew person given the chance. They left no survivors. And by the way, God commanded them to do that. We only took the livestock, we took the spoil for ourselves and plundered the city and took what we we captured. Verse 37. It says, Only the land of the sons of Ammon you did not draw near, that is, to all the banks of the river Jabbok, and the cities of the hill country, wherever, whatever the Lord our God had forbidden us, we didn't take. Clear direction from God. Again, we have this visualization of God protecting and directing His people. What a good reminder that is for us today. At every turn, God is giving us direction. And thank the, thank the Lord for His Holy Spirit. All this direction given to Moses is retold in Numbers 13 and on through. All pointing towards the one who is coming, the, the Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. They wandered and they wandered in the wilderness. And now it is time for them to break camp and head northwards or northeast. Now, the selection of Scripture might be a bit much today as we survey, but the simple fact is this. If we can get anything out of these two chapters, it would be verse 7, that the Lord has given us everything that we need. And this reminder that He will never leave us nor forsake us, found in the Great Commission. He would be with us to the end of the age, the end of the earth. Now, now that we are on this side of the cross, 
And on this side of the resurrection, we encouraged one another, and we are sure, assured that the Lord will always be with us. And sometimes we'll even go to the Lord in prayer, and I find myself even doing this. Lord, we pray today that you will be with so-and-so. You find yourself praying that? I do too. Lord, we pray that you would be with so-and-so that is sick. Or, Lord, we just pray today that you'll be with so-and-so. And by now we should know that if we are a child of God, He is with us. But I do think it is a bit of innocence there because we are relying on God. Lord, you lead them, guide them, direct them, heal them if you will. Bring them closer to you. Be with them in a close way. Be with them, dwell with them in a close way. And in terms of obstacles that we face every day, we face mountains and we face valleys, don't we? Sometimes we find ourselves in this wilderness round and round. Some of the mountains are filled with doubt. Some of them are filled with difficulties, struggles with sin. Some of the mountains we face in life are really, if we take a, a step back from it, are really molehills in themselves. And people struggle with so much more small but yet important. But not as big as sometimes we like them to project them to be. Mountains, molehills, valleys, whatever they are. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, said it in this way. He said, turn you northward is the command required. Anything is better than the old going round and round and coming to the same place again. Northward may mean hard fighting, but it will mean great victory. God don't want us to go round and round. How will God bless our ministry? How will God bless our work to march on and not stay in the same old trajectory of struggle and doubt. Then we find the wilderness years from Bashan to Jordan. They turned and they went up. The king of Bashan came out against us and he and his people. The Lord said to me, don't fear him. I have given him to you, all the people to you, and I have given it into your land. Just as I have done with the king of Heshbah. And I will give it into your land. And they've done so. No survivors were left. We took all the city, whatever they had, 60 cities, the whole region. Verse, verse 5. And why is this important? All the cities were fortified, big cities, hill, hill wall gates, bars beside were, were many unwalled villages. This, this place was set and fortified, and here you are, this nomadic people coming in and who is going to take this city at the command of the Lord God. It was devoted to them, destruction. Get our head around that. Heshbah, devoting to destruct, destruction every city, men, wo men, women, and children, all the livestock and the spoil of the city, we took and we plundered it. We took the land, at that time, out of the hand of two kings of the Amorites that were beyond Jordan from the valley of Arnon to Mount Hermon. All the cities, verse 10, all the cities of the tableland and all of Gilead and all Bashan and as far as uh, Shalecha and uh, Eldrai, the cities of the kingdom of Og in Bashan and all of these cities, all of these places. God had given it to them. We took a possession of this land. And as they took possession, they began to divvy it up. I gave to the Reubenites and the Gadites the territory beginning at 
at Arir, the valley of Arnon. He began to separate it. The rest of Gilead and all of Bashan through the region I gave to Manasseh. Began to divvy it up, giving it to the people as they marched through and take the, take, take the villages. Verse 16, and the Reubenites and the Gadites, I gave the territory of Gilead as far as the valley of Arnon. Began to give the land to the people, separate it. Verse 18, and I commanded you at that time saying, the Lord your God has given you this land to possess. All your men of valor shall cross over before your brothers and the people of Israel. Go on, march on. Only your wives, your little ones, and your livestock will, change, will stay in the cities that I have divvied up to your people. Clear direction. Clear direction. I commanded Joshua at the time. Your eyes have seen all the Lord your God has done but the two kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms in which you are crossing. You shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. Just as the Lord said, to David as he slung the stone and imprinted it into Goliath's head. As David said, the battle belongs to the Lord. So now, it is the Lord God who fights for you. How will the Lord bless our work? In those difficult times to know that it is the Lord God who fights for you. And then we find lastly that God is true to his word. you believe that? Even when it is troubling. These last few verses, again, our human sympathies would step in. Lord, just forgive Moses. And I believe he did. The consequence of Moses' sin is far-reaching. Moses is forbidden to enter into the land. He says, he's telling this new generation, he's telling them this. The heart of a leader is showing here. I pleaded with the Lord, but I know he's sovereign. I pleaded with God, I know he is sovereign, I know he's king. He said, oh Lord God, you have only began to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. What God is there in heaven on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? None. Verse 25, please let me go over and see the good land beyond Jordan, that good hill country and Lebanon. He pleads with the Lord, let me see it, Lord. We know that you have done great things. I want to see some more. I mean, if anything would keep us here on earth to being plugged into his church, it would be to see God do mighty works in his kingdom. Listen, I don't look forward to the day that I'm going to draw my last breath. But I want to stay here as long as I can. And while I'm here, I want to see God do great things for his kingdom through his people. This is what Moses says. The Lord was angry with me because of you and you would not listen to me. And the Lord said, enough from you. Do not speak of this matter to me. I want you to go up here, lift up your eyes westward, look northward, look southward, look eastward, and look at it with your eyes. You're not going to go over to Jordan, but you're going to look. This is going to be mine. It's going to be the people's. I want you to charge Joshua, leave a predecessor. Encourage him, strengthen him, disciple making. That's, that's a sign of a good disciple maker. Encourage, strengthen. For he's going to go over ahead of the people 
and he shall put them in possession of the land that you see. So we remained in the valley opposite of Beth Peor. Now, according to Numbers 20, Moses was not allowed and would not enter into the promised land because of his sin at Meribah, which is where he struck the rock, acted out in anger, and the people were complaining. They got angry. They, he struck the rock with his staff, and notice what he says. This is what Moses says. He says, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Not God. Shall we? So what do we learn? What do we learn from these two chapters that we've, we've glossed over and highlighted a few verses therein? Well, we learn that even while things seem rough and rugged in ministry and in life, that God is going to get the glory. And God will get the glory for ministry, and it's not ours. We give it to Him. God will get anything that is done in the kingdom of the Lord where we can stand and give a report or give a testimony for. We want God to get the glory for it all. And one lesson that we gather from Deuteronomy so far is this. Really, the history of Israel. Israel is not very compassionate with its leaders who are carrying the load. They stack complaints and responsibilities upon their leaders and they leave them to carry the weights beyond what any normal leader should carry. Imagine what would happen if Moses was allowed to lead them through the promised land all this way and God would allow Moses to enter in. And they might even look at Moses and say, well, you're like a god. And would they begin to worship Moses in that way? Maybe. Maybe it's just simply that the Lord was done with Moses, working by his sovereignty. He's going to call him on home. Maybe there's consequences for what Moses did by striking, striking the rock out of anger. I reflect upon the words of 19th century Scottish theologian by the name of James Denny, who wrote these words. He said, They hardly think of their limitations as men like themselves, who, besides the public duties which they discharge, they have a spiritual life of their own to take care of. They have a conscience of their own to keep right with the goal of, of a spiritual ladder to climb, individual convictions, and a soul to save. They do not consider that God is looking on at the trials of a strong but weary spirit. Leaders in the church, teachers, you might be here today with that weary spirit, tired, if you will. While men might be going and doing their best to make the trial turn out to his hurt, this passage shows us this great man in the last year of his life, the dying of Moses has been extended beyond common measure of humanity and his experience had been as various as his life had been prolonged. He had been seen in the courts of Pharaoh, learned the language. He had dwelled in the tents of Midian for 40 years. And for 40 years more, he had never, ever escaped the presence of the tens of thousands of complaining Israelites. Yet, he knew the worry of public position. And he knew also the awful message and terrible message of God. If you veer off to the right or to the left of what I have commanded, sadly, there is consequence for that. 
And with these few spoken words to Israel, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? The Lord reminded Moses, this overarching ministry belongs to him. It's not Moses. It is God that supplied the greatest need. And by that I mean the person of the Lord Jesus. Now we navigate through the word of God and we see God moving his people through difficult territories and brings them through it. In fact, we sit here today because God navigated his people. And he has done that for us and for his glory. Again, how would the Lord bless our work? How would God bless our work? When we remember that it is his work and not ours. I end with this verse, and then we'll pray. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 5. This is a response. It's actually a closing, if you will, a benediction of sorts from the Apostle Paul. He says, May the Lord God, the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. How will the Lord bless our work? As the Lord directs our hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Let's uh, pray together.